We talk a lot on this podcast about chess improvement, but when it comes to improving your hiring processes, Indeed is the platform you need. Indeed has over 350 million global monthly visitors, and it has a matching engine that helps you find quality work candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with your candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Years ago, when I was running a chess teaching business, I found it hard to find good help, and I had to go through a lot of back and forth to even screen potential candidates. Indeed allows you to do those things efficiently in one place. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed for hiring, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of Perpetual Chess will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility if you go to Indeed.com slash chess. Just go to Indeed.com slash chess right now, and you'll be supporting our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast, Indeed.com slash chess. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, it is your partner, Big Boy, interested in giving back to your community while making new connections in your neighborhood. Introducing Neighbor to Neighbor, a California volunteers network that empowers you to take action, contribute to local needs, and be a part of something bigger than yourself. Visit caneighbors.com to learn more about how you can get to know your neighbor and strengthen your community. Neighbor to Neighbor, it takes a neighborhood. Hello. Hello, it is your partner, Big Boy, interested in giving back to your community while making new connections in your neighborhood. Introducing Neighbor to Neighbor, a California volunteers network that empowers you to take action, contribute to local needs, and be a part of something bigger than yourself. Visit caneighbors.com to learn more about how you can get to know your neighbor and strengthen your community. Neighbor to Neighbor, it takes a neighborhood. Hello. Hello, everyone. I am Ben Johnson, and this is the Perpetual Chess Podcast. Perpetual Chess is a weekly interview show where top chess players, authors, content creators, and accomplished amateurs discuss their careers and share stories and chess improvement tips. Perpetual Chess is a part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network, and we'd like to give special thanks to our presenting chess education sponsor, Chessable.com. For more information about the show, you can go to PerpetualChessPod.com. But without further ado, let's get to the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another bonus edition of Perpetual Chess. As you may hear, I am a bit under the weather, but listen, the chess drama continues to unfold, so I feel that it needs to be covered. I understand some people are tired of this story. I totally understand it, to be honest, but I do feel that if we don't speak to credible people about this story, uh, the information dissemination gets worse. So after some thought, I did decide to put out a bonus pod regarding the fact that Hans Neiman is suing Magnus Carlsen, Chess.com, and Danny Wrench and Hikaru Nakamura um, over alleged uh, damages to his reputation, um, collusion, um, defamation, slander, he kind of had as a grab bag of charges, and to discuss it, I will be joined in a minute by uh, Professor David Franklin. He is a law professor who teaches torts and First Amendment law. He's a practicing appellate lawyer. He's argued cases in the U.S. Supreme Court, and as luck would have it, he's also a chess junkie. He is a USCF expert, a uh, speed chess specialist and enthusiast. He helped me out on a book review podcast for The Seven Deadly Chess Sins a couple years back, so he was the first person I thought of when I thought of speaking to someone who understands chess and law about this case, although I know there are lots of uh, lawyer chess aficionados. So before we bring David in, I'll just go over a few important facts from this case. Uh, number one, it is filed in Missouri. Again, the defendants are Magnus Carlson, Chess.com, and Danny Wrench and Hikaru Nakamura, the law firm representing Hans is a small New York City-based law firm called Ovid and Ovid. Um, I'll read the opening of the uh, lawsuit from um, Hans. He writes, Neiman is a 19-year-old self-taught chess prodigy. He brings this action to recover from the devastating damages that defendants have inflicted upon his reputation, career, and life by egregiously defaming him and unlawfully colluding to blacklist him, blacklist him from the profession to which he has dedicated 
his life. And it goes on from there. Um, a representative quote later in the, the paper is that Magnus basically snapped and was enraged when Hans Niemann beat him. And therefore, uh, the allegation is um, knowingly uh, misrepresented the fact that or alleged that Neiman cheated through his tweets and subsequent actions. Um, some other key quotes. Um, he writes that chess.com in collusion with Carlson and Play Magnus immediately banned Neiman from its website after Carlson's actions, and that Nakamura, who's also named in the case, chess.com's, this is a quote's most influential streaming partner, acting in collusion with Carlson and chess.com, published hours of video content amplifying and attempting to bolster Carlson's false cheating allegations against Neiman. Um, and Chess.com executive Danny Wrench issued defamatory press releases and leaked defamatory reports to prominent press outlet outlets falsely accusing Neiman of lying in his post-match Singfield Cup interview regarding his use of a chess engine in a handful of recreational online games when he was a child in order to bolster Carlston's unsubstantiated defamatory accusations that Neiman cheated against him at Singfield Cup. So the overall assertion is slander, libel, unlawful group boycott under the Sherman Act, tortious interference with contra contract and business expectancies and civil conspiracy. Uh, he's suing for $100 million in damages. Uh, a few other points of interest from the lawsuit, which I did read. Um, number one, he alleges that chess.com's uh, information provided in their statement is false and that he did not lie about the amount and seriousness of his cheating on chess.com. So I found that noteworthy because um, a lot of people um, just, um, I think it would, I, I myself have said that it seemed reasonable to assume that chess.com had uh, rock solid information on um, Neiman cheating more than he had uh, publicly admitted in his famous post-game interview in St. Louis. So I found that of interest. He also does uh, mention specific damages, such as he says he was in advanced talks with the famed Tata Steel tournament to play in it in 2023. And that after the um, allegations came forth, they uh, ceased contacting him entirely. Um, he says that it was, it was false, that he prevented Magnus Carlsen from releasing information. Uh, you know, in Magnus Carlsen's statement about Hans, he said, there is more that I would like to say, but I cannot. Um, he, again, he says it's false that he cheated more often than was previously discussed. He says he was not banned twice from chess.com. Um, he says it's false that he confessed to a call in 2020 with Danny Wrench. So, a lot there that goes even beyond just suing for defamation. He's actually questioning the veracity of some of the claims by these uh, well-regarded institutions with um, a lot uh, to lose by making things up. So uh, get your popcorn ready. Um, again, I know it's not it's not the happiest story in chess, um, but it is what it is. It sounds like we're going to be dealing with this for a while. So I'm not going to editorialize too much myself. I am not a lawyer. So let's... Um, what we're going to do is in a minute, we're going to take a break and bring in uh, Professor David Franklin to share his uh, more informed uh, legal opinion about this document. Um, but before we bring David in, I did want to give a shout out to our chess sponsors. If you are looking to escape the chess drama, escape the chess noise, work on your game, then of course, Chessable is a good way to work on your openings and tactical patterns. They have so many uh, great courses. Um, I've been working on the Catalan as black and reviewing some tactics. Um, and then there's also aimchess.com. Uh, I don't want to look at my aim chess lately. <laughs> I've been playing pretty badly, but when I'm playing better or when I'm feeling constructive, it is a great way to review your games uh, and pick up tactics that you miss, see how you're doing with various openings. It's a, a fun little algorithm. And if you do check out aim chess, use the code perpetual 30. So we're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors and then bring in professor David Franklin. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? 
No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And we are here with law professor David Franklin. He teaches torts and First Amendment law. He's also a practicing appellate lawyer. He's argued cases in the U.S. Supreme Court. And he is also a USCF expert, a uh, chess junkie. Um, As I mentioned in the intro, he uh, did a great job helping me out with um, the Seven Deadly Chessons book recap podcast a couple years back. We are both fans of uh, Grandmaster Jonathan Rousen's writing. But more importantly, he's here to share his expertise on uh, the law of it all, the the breaking news of this uh, Hans Niemann lawsuit. So first of all, welcome David Franklin to the to back to Perpetual Chess. Hey, Ben, good to be with you to talk about the story that never goes away. <laughs> yeah, the story that only amplifies as it turns out. Um, but we do appreciate your taking the time. Um, so before we get to the actual lawsuit, David, uh, we were just talking before we started recording. It sounds like you've been following this story closely, even irrespective of the legal um, um, implications, uh, not surprisingly, for a chess fan like yourself. So my, my first question was, did you expect that a lawsuit was coming, David? Um, yeah, I wasn't surprised. Uh, let's put it that way, um, that Hans filed a lawsuit. Look, I mean, he feels aggrieved. Um, he believes his reputation and career have been damaged. He He's said publicly that he thinks that Magnus and Hikaru and chess.com are sort of ganging up on him and he wants some compensation for that. And, and frankly, not to be too cynical about it, but even if the lawsuit fails, um, you know, it's already made headlines and Hans seems like the kind of guy who's not shy about being in the headlines. Um, you know, the hundred million dollar, uh, ask, um, is certainly grabbing attention. Um, you know, that's something for content creators and headline writers to latch onto. Um, but it doesn't really mean anything. I mean, plaintiffs can ask for any amount that they, that they want to, as long as they don't ask for less than $75,000, in which case they would be kicked out of federal court. But, you know, let me be clear. I don't think that this is just a publicity ploy. It's a real lawsuit and we can talk about the merits of it. But I think, um, you know, he's, um, interested in a combination of the legal merits, maybe extracting a settlement if he can, um, or at least, um, you know, enhancing the publicity of this whole thing to some, to some degree. Okay. Yeah. That that's helpful. And one question I had right off the bat, David, as I started to sort of trying to gamify scenarios that might unfold from here. And obviously we'll be doing that with you over the course of this conversation. But one, one thing I was wondering is let's say that the charges were dismissed. Is there a way that Hans can be held culpable for the legal cost that he's inflicting upon uh, the defendants in this civil proceeding? Um, So I doubt it as a general rule in American courts, each side bears the cost of their own representation. Um, so a losing plaintiff normally doesn't have to, um, you know, pay the, the costs that the, that were incurred by the defendants. Um, there's some possibility, um, under what are called, uh, anti-slap statutes. I don't want to get too, too technical, but there are statutes that are designed to deter what are called strategic lawsuits against public participation. Um, in some circumstances, if you bring a truly frivolous defamation suit, uh, you could end up on the hook under one of those statutes. Now, he has filed his case in Missouri, uh, and Missouri has a very weak anti-slap statute, which may be one of the reasons why he brought it there. So I, I don't think he's running that risk particularly here. Okay. Yeah. And and on the topic of it being filed in Missouri, I saw some some surprise online and also um, a Twitter question that just came in about whether Magnus as a Norwegian cis- citizen can be held accountable by a U.S. civil system. Yeah, he certainly can. Um, you know, people uh, are subject to the jurisdiction of courts um, in places where they have acted in some way that is relevant to the lawsuit. So <clears throat> the uh, the argument here is, of course, that Magnus committed some of the wrongful acts here in St. Louis, like when he um, 
withdrew from the Sinkfield Cup. And then when he tweeted um, that initial tweet with Jose Mourinho in it, I guess he was still in Missouri at that time. Uh Um, So um, he would be subject to Missouri law and subject to personal jurisdiction in Missouri if a court found that he had sort of taken steps to deliberately avail himself of the benefits of Missouri law. And by, by being there and acting there, um, he, he probably did that. It's, it's a little bit more of an interesting question with respect to chess.com, which is an internet um, company. Um, are they subject to personal jurisdiction everywhere uh, because they sort of act everywhere? Um, you know, I don't, know what the courts would do with that. Um, and then Hikaru is a, is a different question altogether. Um, as far as I know, Hikaru has, has no connection in relation to the events of this case um, to the state of Missouri. So there are some jurisdictional questions here um, which get pretty technical. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, Magnus is, is certainly in principle subject to uh, American law. There would be another question if he if he lost, if if Hans won a judgment against uh, against uh, Magnus, um, could he execute on that judgment? And that would that would depend on whether Magnus has assets in the United States that could be attached and so forth. But that, that we're we're a long ways from from that at this point. Okay. Yeah, that's helpful. And um, zooming out a little bit, one of the Twitter questions that that came in that I think a lot of people shared similar thoughts. Um, I certainly did, again, having read the complaint. Uh, Tim Reisner wrote, please ask the professor to comment on the drafting of the lawsuit, which to my eyes looks like it was written by Hans Niemann himself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's the first thing that struck me reading this complaint. It contains a lot of uh, bluster and hyperbole. Um, and you know, it's interesting to think about like why, why that is. But I mean, if you, yeah, if you look through the, the complaint, I mean, it says things like uh, Carlson believes that when it comes to chess, he can do whatever he wants and get away with it. Um, it, it alleges that Hans dashed Magnus's dream of reaching 2,900, which is a little bit strange. <laughs> um, uh, and, you know, it's a, yeah, draw, that was drawing against Johan Hjarderson and the European Club Cup also dashed <laughs> his hopes of that, I guess, too. Um, and, uh, you know, it says Carlson is notorious for his inability to cope with defeat and that he snapped and so forth. I mean, federal judges don't tend to be too impressed with complaints that are written in this kind of polemical way. Um, look, sometimes plaintiff's lawyers will put some bravado into their complaints to sort of satisfy their client. I mean, Hans is obviously a pretty mercurial guy. He seems pretty angry. And so, you know, that is reflected in the way that this complaint was written. I think actually it could backfire to some extent for reasons that we can get into later. But I, I think a lot of the hyperbole is in there for a reason too, which is to sort of establish um, a narrative of, why Magnus would accuse Hans of cheating when, in Hans's view, Magnus knew that that was false, right? And the, the narrative is it's because Magnus's pride had been wounded and he sort of lashed out. And, and then also the complaint kind of pumps up the drama to try to paint this nefarious picture of Magnus and Chess.com and Hikaru all getting together in some smoke-filled room and conspiring to ruin Hans's career, Um I must admit, I do like the fact that the complaint includes a screen capture of Danny Ren and <laughs> right, Magnus yeah. from their merger announcement video looking all smug and conspiratorial. Um, <laughs> some law firm associate must have had fun like going through that video and picking the sleaziest looking frame from it and then sticking it into the complaint. Um, but, you know, there, there, there's a lot of, uh, uh, of bravado in the complaint. But, but if you strip all of that away and focus on the legal claims, I think Hans has an uphill battle, but the case is not frivolous. There, there, there could be something there, at least as to part of what he's claiming. Right. Yeah. I feel like, again, caveat, I'm not a lawyer, obviously, but I feel like his character clearly has been defamed and there clearly has been some or is likely to be some financial damage, at least in the, the chess realm. That's but right. I, I mean, if, if somebody's a professional chess player and they are falsely accused, and I, I, I just say, you know, I, I don't take any position on whether he was right. falsely Good accused. Point. If they are falsely accused of cheating, um, you know, that is a potentially defamatory and damaging statement for sure. Yeah. But the con- the collusion inclusion surprised me and felt um, like, is that necessary? What's the upside of alleging collusion if uh, there's, say, more evidence 
for uh, just defamation. Yeah, I'm not exactly sure why that stuff is is in there, right? There's a civil conspiracy claim. I, I can't say that I'm an expert on civil conspiracy law, um, but I think that that would be very hard for Hans to prove. He would have to try to prove that, you know, Magnus and Chess.com were actively working together um, to sort of harm his reputation. I think the allegations there are pretty, pretty vague. Um, there's really no allegation um, in the complaint um, that they were working together. And in federal court, there are, there are heightened pleading standards, right? So you have to plead, um, you know, that there's a, a plausible uh, set of facts that add up to a legal violation. Um, and for conspiracy claims, you, you might also have to plead with some specificity. So I, I'm not really sure what it adds to the defamation claim other than if Hans were to recover, I guess he would be able to recover damages from everybody. So possibly on a what, what lawyers call a joint and several liability basis, um, if he can prove defamation, let's say, as to Magnus and then can prove that the others were in cahoots with Magnus, then the civil conspiracy claim could bootstrap him into greater damages against everybody. That's, that's the only reason I can think of for why it's there. Okay. And and two follow-ups on that. One, I saw some confusion in online discussions. Is the maximum liability on the named 100 million figure, is that 100 million per defendant or 100 million in total? Um, I I don't know. I think he's, I think he's claiming a hundred million dollars in total. Again, that number is, is just nominal. It, it, it really doesn't matter. You know, if this case ever made it to trial, it would be up to a jury to decide what, what his amount of damages was. Um, and I guess if you, if you really give him the benefit of every doubt, if you imagine that they violated his rights and as a result, his chess career is completely ruined, and he was otherwise destined to be world champion, right? <laughs> then you could say, okay, he was sort of lost a lifetime career earnings of, let's be generous again, $25 million or something yeah, like that's, that, that's, right? I had a um, and then thought, to, yeah. to get to a hundred million, you'd need sort of 75 million in punitive damages. I mean, it just doesn't, it doesn't quite add up, but it's that, uh, that's really a kind of all theater. You know, plaintiffs often pump up the, the uh, amount requested in the prayer for relief. Um, and, you know, they're, they're free to do that, but ultimately it's going to be up to a jury. Okay. And my second follow-up, um, uh, an attorney named Akiva Cohen shared some insights on Twitter. I found it uh, helpful. And one of his uh, repeated uh, conclusions was, I don't know why Hikaru was in this. <laughs> and at some point he said, uh, it seems like uh one one scenario is the the law firm, the his Hans's lawyers probably kept trying to convince Hikaru, convince Hans not to include Hikaru in the lawsuit, but he uh, insisted. Did did you have a similar reaction, David? Or would you? I, I, uh, I did. Um, I mean, I don't know why he was included, but I'm I'm sure that Hans really feels you know that it's personal with with Hikaru yeah. at some level. Um, but, but look, I mean, as far as I'm aware, um, and I followed Hikaru's streams pretty closely on this though, I mean, he streams so much, nobody could watch all of it, but right. as far as I'm aware, and as far as the complaint, uh, reveals, right. And that's the key here. Um, Hikaru never actually said that Hans cheated over the board. Um, yeah. so I do think Hikaru would get dismissed from this case pretty quickly. Look, I'm, I'm no fan of Hikaru in general or how he's behaved during this controversy, but, Legally, as far as I can see, all that Hikaru did was take Magnus's actions and statements and sort of interpret them or amplify them and say, you know, well, we all know what Magnus is is implying here, which we all did know what Magnus was right. implying. So Hikaru didn't say anything new there, you know, or Hikaru might might have said in, in there are a few quotes in the complaint, you know, a lot of other players have been whispering that there are yeah. concerns about about Hans, I, you know, I, that doesn't add up to defamation liability. So I, I think Hikaru is, is legally in the clear. And as I said earlier, also, I don't think he is even necessarily subject to personal jurisdiction in the Eastern district of Missouri either. Right. Hikaru being, a so resident. he can file his own motion to dismiss, uh, here to get himself dismissed from the case. And that might well succeed. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And reading the, the, the legal document, 
you know, Hikaru's quotes are in the legal document. And even right there in, in black and white, I was thinking, well, Hikaru worked, chose his words very carefully. He, you know, he did a good job not explicitly alleging OTB cheating, as you said. So, yeah, I, I had a similar reaction to that. No, Hikaru um, is he's he's pretty clever. You know, yeah. he, he's pretty careful. Uh, yeah, he's, he is. He, he's He's been around for a while and he, he knows how to handle himself. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Um, so getting to another Twitter question, this one is from Vishchess who asks, what do you think is the strongest allegation in the lawsuit? And the one that if, and the one that if any is likely to get the case to trial. Yeah. I don't know if any of them will get it to trial, but the core of the complaint here is the defamation claim, right? Yeah. I mean, there's a libel count and a slander count. There's really no important difference between them, right? Slander is just spoken defamation and libel is written or recorded defamation. So, um, and, and just to be clear, I may go on a bit. Law school is now in session. I apologize to your listeners, right? But, um, look, under American principles of defamation law, um, which are in turn informed by the first amendment, um, Hans would have to clear basically three hurdles here. He, He has the burden, first of all, of proving that the defendant made a false statement, um, he also has to show that the defendant acted with some level of fault um, and that the statement harmed him uh, reputationally or in some other tangible way. So if you think about like when Netflix aired the Queen's Gambit series and had a character, even a fictional character, right, saying as a matter of historical fact that uh, Nona Gaprindashvili never played against men, right, she could show all three things. That's a false statement, Netflix was at fault because it could have easily researched that and figured out that it was false. And it damaged her reputation, at least to some degree. And indeed, they ended up settling with her. So those are kind of the three hurdles that he faces. So how, how do those shake out in, in Hans's case? Um, so start with falsity. Like, what are the provably false statements here? Let's just talk about Magnus and Chess.com here. So they've both said that Hans cheated online uh, more often and more recently than he admitted. Um, so can Hans prove that that's false? Um, I don't think so, right? I mean, chess.com was willing to publicly issue this 72-page report, actually a 20-page report with 52 pages of tables, right? So it must think that its cheat detection is pretty ironclad. Um, and Hans' complaint tries to sort of say, well, that's that's false because I was streaming in some of the games and I was on camera and Danny Wrench told me that I didn't cheat in any cases where I was streaming or whatever. But that that's pretty weak. Um, I think more serious are the statements implying that Hans cheated over the board, right? Either during the Sinkfield Cup game with Magnus or elsewhere. Um, and so there are a couple of issues there. Right. Magnus might say, well, I never explicitly said that he cheated over the board, Um, but he pretty strongly implied it. Right. I mean, if we go back to Magnus's statement from September 26th, I think it was. What does he say? He says Hans is over the board. Progress has been unusual, that he had the impression that Hans was too chill during their Sinkfield Cup game and yet still managed to outplay him as black in a way that only a handful of players could do. Parenthetically, Ben, I don't think that's true. I mean, Magnus yeah, was really playing Not badly that in that game. Yeah. So I think anyone in the top 100 could have beaten him that day. But anyway, Magnus can try to argue, look, I never quite came out and said that Hans cheated over the board. But there is this principle that that, that defamation can happen by implication. Um, and um, I think a jury could certainly find that Magnus implied um, that Hans cheated over the board. And, and I would just say, if, if I had been advising Magnus, I I would have encouraged him to simply, you know, stick with the allegations that Hans cheated online more than he, uh, more than he had said he did. Um, the, the extra stuff that, that Magnus came forward with about, you know, I think he cheated against me over the board was unnecessary and just opened himself up potentially to legal exposure. Actually, I would have advised Magnus to just suck it up and and play Hans. And, and the, the, behind the scenes, you can insist that the organizers try to institute better security measures. But but anyway. Uh, oh, and by the way, if I had been counseling chess.com uh, on their report, I would definitely advise them not to include that whole section sort of dealing with over the board stuff and insinuating that maybe there was yeah. something suspicious about Hans's rapid rise. 
I mean, chess.com is an online platform. They should have stayed in their, in their lane on that. And it kind of makes it look like they were catering to Magnus a little bit. Um, but, but, but in, in the end, right, if you read the chess.com report on page 17, they say, quote, there is nothing in our statistical investigation to raise any red flags regarding Hans's over the board play and rise. So I think it's really only Magnus who stated or implied um, that Hans uh, cheated over the board. Um, but even so, is that statement provably false? Right? Right. I mean, that's the thing is that the the plaintiff in a defamation case bears the burden of showing falsity, right? And the statistical evidence is not probative here. There's obviously no direct evidence. It's certainly possible, right? His, his rise has been pretty meteoric, um, but he's also a talented player. So I just, you know, my point is just that an allegation that he cheated over the board is probably not provably false. And since the plaintiff, that's Hans here, bears the burden on that issue, I think that's an uphill battle. So that's the issue of falsity. Okay. okay. One sec. Can I follow yeah. up on that? Sure. So are appeals to authority, like he mentions Dr. Regan and other uh, cheat detection experts, like is that a credible defense in terms of um, disproving the allegations? Um, n- no, I don't think so. Um, because the a the statistical analysis that Reagan did um, could could easily be shown to be uh, methodologically uh, suspect, right? I mean, if if somebody is a very good chess player, which Hans is, right, then they can probably um, do smart cheating and get around that kind of statistical analysis. Um, so I, I don't think that's enough to, to show that, that what Magnus said was, was false. But, but there's also a second hurdle, okay, which is the issue of fault that I mentioned earlier. So the U.S. Supreme Court has said that if the plaintiff in a defamation case is a public figure, then you don't just have to prove falsity. You actually have to prove that the defendant acted with actual malice, that is to say, with knowledge that what they were saying was false, or at least reckless disregard for the possibility that it was false. That is notoriously hard to prove. So then the question would be, is Hans a public figure? Who counts as a public figure? Um, It doesn't have to be someone who's generally famous. I mean, certainly, you know, Mark Zuckerberg or Oprah Winfrey is a general purpose public figure. Um, but Hans is pretty famous in the chess world. And I was saying earlier that some of his bluster and bravado in the complaint might backfire, right? The parts where he sort of goes to great pains to explain how he's this amazing prodigy and burst on the scene and is, you know, one of the strongest chess players in, in, in the world. I think that hurts him in a way because it tends to indicate that at least within the chess world, he counts as a public figure, which means he has a higher hurdle to surmount in a defamation case. Um, And there's also this concept of a limited purpose public figure. So the idea here is even if a person isn't a public figure, if they take steps to sort of voluntarily inject themselves into a particular public controversy, um, then they also have to surmount that higher hurdle of showing actual malice. So did Hans do that? Did he thrust himself into the cheating controversy? He would say no. He would say I was dragged into it, you know, unwillingly. But, you know, even going back to Miami when he said the chess speaks for itself, I don't know, that's probably not cheating related. But or, or, or later when he sort of made his partial confession about online cheating, that was after the Sinkfield Cup withdrawal by Magnus, right? But it was before Magnus's September 26th statement. So it's quite possible that a court would say that Hans sort of voluntarily participated in this controversy, and that would make it harder for him to prove defamation because he would have to show that Magnus knew that what he was saying was false, or at least was reckless about the possibility that it was false. So that's the second hurdle that I was referring to earlier. And then the third one is 
damages. So Hans has to prove that he's been injured by these defendants. Like, what are his damages? He says in the complaint that his career has been destroyed, that he's been blackballed. Um, but that's not obvious to me at all, right? He's a 2,700 player. He's quite interesting to watch. He just did pretty well in the US championship. He's become very famous as a result of this controversy. It might give a boost to his career in some quarters. I mean, some organizers might be more willing to invite him to uh, their events because he would draw eyeballs, right? right? You know, he says his streaming career is over because he's been banned from chess.com. So go stream on Lee Chess. I mean, it's, right. it's not at all clear, right, that he can prove uh, the damages element uh, of defamation either. So, so I think those are the those are the the hurdles that he faces. But to come back to your original question, I do think that the defamation claims are the core of his complaint. And if anything is going to survive long enough to you know extract a settlement or even get to trial, it would be those claims. Okay. And, uh, but on the topic of damages, he did, I mean, granted it's <laughs> comes up a little short of a hundred million dollars, but he did mention that he had a match with, uh, Vincent Kmar in, um, you know, in advanced negotiations and that, uh, Kmar decided not to play the match. And again, that Tata Steele, uh, ceased negotiations with them over him playing next year. So I agree with you that overall, I mean, Magnus refusing to play in a tournament with him is going to do some long-term damage, but that's still, um, speculation at this point. So yeah, I agree yeah, with you I, the I, overall. I mean, he doesn't really allege anything right here that, that actually ties the actions of these defendants to the decisions by Vincent Kamer or, you know, Jerome Bosch or whoever the organizer of Vikanze is to, to disinvite him. You know, I mean, one could make a general sort of causal connection there, but, but he actually tries to say, you know, they tortuously interfered with his business expectancies. Well, that, that, I don't think that's the case unless he can show that, you know, Magnus or Danny Wrench, you know, called up the, the, the organizers of Tata Steel and said, you know, don't touch this guy with a 10 foot pole or something. Right. Um, so, so th those kinds of claims are, are, I think, pretty, pretty hard to substantiate. But yeah, I mean, there, there may be some, um, there may be some organizers who've gotten cold feet as a result of this controversy. There may be others that are more eager to, yeah. to invite him to play in their events. I think that's that remains to be proven. Yeah, J Jerome Vandenberg, just as Sorry. A, a, a small correction. I get um, my Jerones mixed up. <laughs> understandable. All right, and on that note, we're going to take a break to hear from our sponsors, and we will be back with more from uh, Professor David Franklin. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing... The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. And we are back. And David, as we begin to look forward, I mean, it sounds like, you know, to summarize what you've said so far, uh, Hans's uh, case maybe weak, but it's not nothing. <laughs> there are uh, some some implications there. So what scenarios do you think um, may unfold? What are potential scenarios in uh, these coming months? And what's the general timeline uh, going forward? Well, uh, the defendants typically have about three weeks to file an answer to the complaint. So wow. that's a document where I better they schedule that bonus pod. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the, the answer might not be too exciting. Uh, okay. You know, it's, it's a document where they, uh, you know, admit or deny the allegations in each paragraph and, and then identify any defenses that they may have. Um, and the defendants might also move to dismiss um, some or all of the claims. So they could say, even if all of the allegations in the complaint are true, they still don't add up to a legal claim that could be the basis for liability. As we said earlier, I think Hikaru probably could uh, could do that, um, or or that the court doesn't have jurisdiction. Right, that would be another basis on which to move to dismiss. Um, and um, typically, if there's a pending motion to dismiss, 
um, then the judge will uh, stay the discovery process, you know, sort of put a put a break on on that. Discovery is the process by which, um, you know, each side ask, gets to ask each other a bunch of questions and ask for documents and, you know, interviews that are called depositions might might occur as well. The judge has a lot of discretion um, to schedule and sort of control um, the discovery process. Um, I, I think one of your Twitter users was asking whether chess.com would have to sort of pop the hood on its anti-cheating algorithm right, as part yeah. of discovery. I, you know, I don't think so. Um, you know, again, remember it's Hans who bears the burden of showing that there was a false statement here. So I think he would have a tough time sort of shifting that burden to chess.com. Um, and even if he did, there are ways that courts can kind of protect uh, proprietary technology or, or trade secrets and the like from discovery. Um, chess.com could move for a protective order so that only the court and maybe certain attorneys or expert witnesses could gain access to information about its algorithm. I don't think it will come to that. But there would be a discovery process. Um, and of course, at any time, um, the parties could initiate settlement negotiations. Um, you know, Every defendant has their own particular risk profile with respect to how willing they are to, to settle um, based on um, you know, a lot of factors, right? Like how, how highly they, they value, uh, the, the claims and their potential legal exposure, but also any reputational concerns that they might have. Um, I sort of doubt that these defendants are going to be in the mood to settle given the nature of this complaint and the merits of, of the complaint. Um, so, we'll see, you know, it's it, it, down the line after discovery is completed, the defendants can move for what's called summary judgment, which is basically a way of saying that they don't think the plaintiff has come forward with enough evidence to add up to um, a case that can go to a jury. Um, and they, they could win um, at summary judgment if, if they don't, right? If all of that happens, if the motion to dismiss is denied, if summary judgment is denied, if the case doesn't settle, then, you know, maybe there's a trial at the end of the line. I, I sort of doubt that here. Um, but if there is, um, you know, we can do another podcast about it. <laughs> yeah. Live coverage. Um, so, and with these potential scenarios, again, what, what are the potential timelines? Like if it were dismissed, when would that happen? If it went to trial, when, when would that likely be? I mean, I know the, the wheels of justice are unpredictable, but. Yeah, curious. they tend, the wheels of justice tend to grind pretty slowly. Um, you know, there can be a lot of initial procedural and jurisdictional motions. Um, you could have defendants here trying to argue that the case doesn't even belong in federal court or that the court doesn't have jurisdiction over certain parties. Um, so that can take a long time. Um, you know, this kind of litigation can drag on for years. Wow. Um, it's, it's very, very common for, for, for that to be the case. That's a bummer. Yeah, that's dis disappointing. I mean, again, I understand why. Assuming that Hans, that what Hans alleges is true, that he didn't cheat uh, more than than he said, I certainly would feel aggrieved. But assuming that uh, Chess.com has the correct data, setting the OTB issue aside, which no one, no one other than Hans, <laughs> possibly he's the only one who knows. Right. Um, setting the OTB issue aside, assuming that their information is correct, that he lied uh, repeatedly or extensively, I should say, not repeatedly, um, about the amount that he cheated and, and uh, like the reputational damage they've had to endure as a result of this whole kerfuffle. Um, I can understand both sides feeling uh, very aggrieved. So it's a shame that this isn't going away anytime soon. Well, it, it, it could. I mean, it, I, I think certainly the issues in the case will be streamlined because certain issues and certain parties will probably get struck from the case. Right. Um, and then so, the remaining claims. So what do you think is likely to get struck? I think, I think Hikaru is, is probably going to get himself out of this uh -huh. um, pretty quickly. Um, I don't see too much merit, uh, to, to, to put it mildly, to the Sherman <laughs> Act claim. Could you explain that for a... Yeah, I mean, I'm not a competition law expert, but basically what Hans is saying is that there's a per se illegal group boycott, which violates the federal antitrust laws. But, you know, those laws are really meant for a very different scenario, right? Where you have 
companies that together um, have market power in a particular industry who are kind of fencing out one of their market rivals. And that just doesn't describe what's going on here at all. So I think that that claim is a non-starter. Um, I think the, the tortious interference with contract claim, those are hard to win. Um, it sort of piggybacks on the defamation claim. So maybe it survives if the defamation claim survives. Um, and civil conspiracy also, I think, is is, is very hard to, to prove because of some of the heightened pleading standards that I was mentioning earlier. Um, so some of this may go away and we may find that uh, the issue gets sort of perfected, as lawyers say, and, and narrowed down. Um, but it's possible that the case in one form or another does linger for a while. Okay. And if, if the um, complaint had been more targeted, let's say, to put it politely, like, uh, let's say he alleged uh, defamation of character. He limited the defendants to chess.com and Magnus, maybe uh, worded things um, a bit more precisely. Would that have had an an impact on, like how big an impact does that have on the potential um, downstream uh, outcome of the case compared to, to what we're starting with here? I think that's probably where we're going to end up anyway. Um, you know, uh, in federal court, um, th- there's usually a pretty liberal availability of um, uh, uh, amendment of complaints, right? So this is the first version of the complaint, um, but um, there may be a second version or even a third version down the line as the uh, as the issues get uh, more streamlined. So, you know, it's, it's not at all uncommon that you get a sort of blunderbuss complaint, you know, out of the gate that sort of includes everything and the kitchen sink. uh, And then things get narrowed down later. Okay. All right. Well, David, this has been extremely helpful. Um, So can I just speak to one other larger issue before we, before we conclude? Cause I, I do think, you know, regardless of the particular merits of this lawsuit, it's pretty clear that the chess world right now is, is stuck with a, very difficult, I I would say potentially insoluble problem um, that goes to the sort of reputation of the game, right? Because OTB cheating seems to be very technologically feasible, right? Especially for players who are good enough with technology to kind of make it work and good enough at chess to hide their tracks by only using um, those methods, you know, once or twice in a game. Um, statistical methods like we talked about earlier with Ken Regan or others, they, they, they just strike me as not up to the task of, of catching smart cheaters who only cheat once or twice per game. I mean, you can certainly have Ken on your, on your podcast if he'll come on and he'll probably disagree with that. But well, what he said is, uh, he said, if you're cheating twice a game, basically eventually you're going to get caught. Yeah. It would take a bit longer. And once a game, it wasn't as clear, but he still kind of implied the same thing. I'm, you know, whatever. I'm I just don't know about expert, that, right? Yeah, I, mean, if, I don't know about that if, either. If you get the high sign from your accomplice or from some device, you know, that just sort of says, look for a tactic here, yeah, right? And you find it, then sort of by definition, it's a humanly findable tactic. And it's just, I, I, it seems very, very difficult Um to, to catch that. And then when you add to that, right, the fact that most, most uh, tournament organizers don't have the resources or the know-how to, to combat cheating, um, you know, in, 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 in open tournaments where there's still decent prize funds, you know, and yeah, are you, are you going to take everybody in a huge hotel ballroom and tell them that, you know, they have to be searched with the same kinds of stuff that the Sinkfield cup scans everyone with, you know, I, and then add to that, I seriously doubt that FIDE has the competence as a governing body to sort of deal with all of this. So I don't know what the answer is. In my opinion, there need to be very severe punishments um, mm-hmm. for cheating, especially over the board. But coming up with a legal standard of proof that identifies cheaters but also avoids false accusations, I just think that's going to be very difficult, if not impossible, re- regardless of how this particular lawsuit comes out. Yeah. But yeah, that's um. It's a, a little bit of a downer of a note to end on, but you know, it's I think worth worth noting. Yeah, it's it is a downer, but but I definitely um understand uh, you make you make some strong arguments. Um, it, it's a conundrum. Um, I, I at the elite level, I think it's more doable, but at the club level, and as you say, here in the U.S., they have significant prizes. I I wouldn't personally wouldn't mind a different sort of system, but that's 
it's hard. I mean, so many local tournaments are run from goodwill. So to, um, it's hard to imagine having both uh, an economic model that works uh, and um, lower prizes. Anyway, we're getting a bit far afield, but I certainly, um, I share your concerns. Um, okay, well, David, anything else or anything you want to say in summation before we say goodbye? I know you're you've uh, you're a busy guy, so I really appreciate your uh, taking the time. No, it'll be it'll be interesting to see uh, what happens with this lawsuit, and and you know if if they do go to trial, we can do uh, we can do court TV, and uh, <laughs> uh, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure there'll be lots of streamers, coverage. <laughs> lots of streamers all over it. Her car will be sitting in the, after her car is dismissed. He'll be sitting in the uh, <laughs> sitting in the court covering it. <laughs> Yeah, um, I mean, uh, you know, f- federal civil cases don't don't tend to be televised, but uh, you know, there's there's still ways to to make it dramatic. But okay. I, again, I, I I don't think this case is is going to end up going to trial. You know, the vast vast majority of cases don't. Um, so one way or another, either through dismissal, summary judgment, or settlement, um, I think this will get resolved. Dare I dare I try to get you on the record with like percentage chance of each? Um, <sighs> I, 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 yeah, I don't know if I can put a percentage on it. Um, you know, if I were a practitioner who was doing defamation cases day in and day out, I might have a better read on this. I just think it's an uphill battle for Hans, but, but, but not impossible for him to to prevail at least on the core defamation claim here. Okay. Well, that, that is a good note to end on. Yeah. And that is uh, certainly helpful. So thanks again, David, appreciate your insights and, uh, yeah, yeah. yep. Hopefully we can uh, chat again either in a more casual environment or about more chess court drama. (laughs) Thanks, Ben. Thanks to everyone who helps make Perpetual Chess possible. Big shout out to my producer, Matthew Passy. I'd also like to thank the Blue Wire Podcast Network with whom we are proud to be affiliated. Be sure to follow us on social media, Official one on Twitter, at Perpetual Chess on Instagram, and or you can join the Perpetual Chess Facebook group. You can email me, ben at perpetualchesspod.com. And of course, last but not least, I'd like to give major thanks to the Perpetual Chess Patreon and PayPal supporters. Those who choose to join that community based on their level of support can do things like submit questions for guests of the show, have access to live Zoom Q&A lectures with grandmasters who often have appeared on the show, going over chess games, answering questions, stuff like that. And you can even get access to ad-free perpetual chess if that's your preference. So, but most of all, thanks to everyone for listening and we will catch you all on the next episode. Podcast Network. Hello, it is your partner, Big Boy. Interested in giving back to your community while making new connections in your neighborhood? Introducing Neighbor to Neighbor, a California volunteers network that empowers you to take action, contribute to local needs, and be a part of something bigger than yourself. Visit caneighbors.com to learn more about how you can get to know your neighbor and strengthen your community. Neighbor to Neighbor, it takes a neighborhood. Hello.